Chapter 37. I wandered, amazed, and appalled, through a world that made no sense. The parts that were familiar just made other parts seem stranger. My scoop was there, right where it should be, but no one was around. Not a single other endolite. Not my father or my mother. Why? Where was I? If this wasn't home, where was it? I wandered through woods and across open fields that were familiar. But then, across a field I'd known all my life, I found a sharp line drawn. The grasses of home stopped abruptly. And on the other side, everything turned brown and muddy gray and a red so dark it was almost black. On one side of the line, my own world. On the other side of the line, wild, tall, spiky grass, and trees that rose only a foot tall before spreading out horizontally for thirty or forty feet. If you could even call something like that a tree. I was startled by something that reached up out of the ground with a soft shloop. It was like a taxon tongue, almost. Ten feet long and dark red, it shot up from a hole in the ground. It seemed to lick the air in a slow, circular pattern, as if it was searching blindly for something. Then, after a few seconds, it slooped back into the ground. Ten feet away, another such tongue. This time, it reached for a beast that walked past, hunched over. The beast had four thick legs toward the back, and two turned-in legs forward with no discernible head. This lumbering creature wandered straight toward the flickering tongue, and suddenly, fast as a tail, the tongue reached out and wrapped around the beast's hind legs. The beast let out a groan, although where that sound came from, since it seemed not to have a head, was a mystery to me. The tongue drew the beast toward its hole, but it could not suck the animal down, so it simply held it prisoner as the beast groaned. The sky directly over that dark, unnerving landscape was dirty green and veined with silent lightning. It looked altogether like one of the fantasy monster lands in fables that Andalite parents tell their children about. I felt sick twisting inside me. I had never been to the Yurk world, of course. But already I was beginning to guess what had happened. And I was sure that this blasted, vile, and empty landscape was the Yurk homeworld or at least the Yurk homeworld as Visser 32 saw it. The Time Matrix! Where is the Time Matrix? I asked myself. It was the key. The Matrix had caused all this. The Matrix had caused this awful place without logic or reason. And only through the Matrix could I escape. Loren, where is she? I looked up at the sky and saw the patches of lighter, paler blue the blue of earth sky. She would be beneath one of those patches of earth blue. I was confident of that. But which patch? The waterfall. That was the place to start. It was the tallest thing around. I turned my back on that depressing York vision and ran toward the empty mockery of my home scoop. It was hard to look at that familiar area and accept the fact that it wasn't really my home. Visser 32! It hit me like a shock from one of those Yurk lightning bolts. If I was here, and perhaps even Loren was here, then so was he. 
somewhere. Maybe within the confines of his York world, but maybe not. If I could go looking for Lorraine, so could he. And if he found her first. I saw the towering cliff from which the waterfall dropped and raced toward it, desperate now to find Lorraine. I ran flat out. As I ran, I ate. It felt so good. Whatever else might be strange and unreal, the grass was good and familiar. And as it traveled up my legs from my hooves, I felt my strength growing. I reached the pool where the water crashed in a huge white explosion. As I drew closer, I saw that the woods surrounding that pool were split into three different sections. The familiar andalite trees filled a third or so, and different but still lovely trees and green grass covered another third. About still another third was more of the dark yerk landscape. It was utterly impossible, of course, but still, standing beneath that massive waterfall, feeling the cold spray on my face, it was beautiful, too. Alfangor! I turned my stock eyes and saw her. Relief flooded through me. Loren, you're here! Yeah, I'm here all right, but where is here? Wait, I'll come to you. I went toward her, threading my way around bushes and trees, and she came running toward me. She threw her strong human arms around my shoulders, and even though touching is more of a human thing than an endolite thing, it wasn't so bad. Man, I thought I was all alone here, Loren said. No, I am here. I would swear this is Earth. Only look at the sky. It's all in patches, and some of those patches are very weird. She released her hold on me, and after a second or two, I realized I should do the same. Have you looked around at all? She shook her head. It's something humans do to answer no. I woke up over there, a few hundred feet back in the woods. Alfangor, it's exactly like this area of the park back home. There's a park where I play softball. Yes, it would be familiar to you. And there will probably be other familiar parks. Places you know. Maybe we could go and look around, now that we are together. She cocked her head sideways and looked at me. You're still worried, aren't you? There are three of us who made contact with the Time Matrix. You, me, and Visser 32. She twisted her human lips into a grimace. Then she looked skyward. Those patches of green sky with the lightning. That's because of him, isn't it? Somehow, we made this place. The three of us. We created this place. I stared at her in astonishment. There was no way she could begin to know about the physics of the time matrix. And yet, she had reached the same conclusion as I had. I laughed. Maybe Loren didn't understand the physics of the time matrix. But then again, neither did I. Neither did any Endolite, as far as I knew. Compared to the creatures who had created the Time Matrix, humans and Endolites were equally primitive. What do you think happened? I asked Loren. She smiled. You're asking me? She shrugged. Well, that Time Machine, the Time Matrix, or whatever you call it, 
It's not just like some car you drive through time. I think to steer it, you have to imagine the place and time where you want to go. I think with three of us each having different ideas of where we wanted to go, well, this is the result. Part me, part you, part... part him. I saw that her eyes were staring past me. I adjusted my stock eyes to follow the direction of her gaze. There, standing on the far side of the pool, was Visser 32, the abomination. But Visser 32 was not standing alone. Chapter 38 Visser 32 stood on the bank of the pool in the Yerk Zone, under his own green sky. And on either side of him stood a creature like nothing I had ever seen or imagined. They were each about three feet tall and four and a half feet long. They were mostly a dark, dirty yellow with irregular black spots. But the head and shoulders were the deep red of the yurt plants. The heads were tiny for the bodies, elongated, almost needle-sharp. The mouths were long and narrow. Hundreds of tiny bright red teeth stuck out, jagged and wildly different in length and shape. But what struck me as strangest was that the creatures did not have legs in the usual sense. They had wheels. Yes, wheels. Four of them, to be exact. The wheels were located where legs should be. Each was sloppy and irregular in shape, not perfectly round. But it was easy to see that the wheels were real. There was mud and dirt all around them, and when I strained my stock eyes, I could even see where the creatures had left tracks in the dirt. Wheel tracks. Alfangor, what are those things? I have no idea. I can't imagine what evolutionary path would conceivably have created a creature with wheels. Visser 32 actually gave a jaunty wave of his hand. So, young Alfangor, we meet again. As you see, I brought my pets, Jerex and Larix, and you have brought your pet too, your pet human. Loren looked at me. In a voice Visser 32 was sure to hear, she muttered, You know, Alfangor, I'm beginning to see why you Andalites really dislike Yurks. Whatever body they may be in, they still have the manners of slugs. Brave little human girl, the Yurk Visser mocked. Do you understand that even now my people are on their way to evaluate your primitive world? Do you understand that within a few years, your people, you humans, will be slaves of the Yurk Empire? Blah, 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 Loren said. I had no idea what that meant. Neither did the Visser. You do a lot of talking for a slug, Loren clarified. You think I'm scared of you? Yes, I know you're scared of me. For a moment, Lorraine said nothing, but her lower lip was trembling slightly. Then she knelt quickly, plunged her hand into the water, and withdrew it. She was holding a rock. She drew her arm back, swept her arm in a big loop, and released the rock with precise timing. The rock flew through the air at an impressive speed. And the aim wasn't bad either. Bonk! Ah! The visor cried. The rock had struck him right in the face, just below his left main eye. I don't know who was more amazed, 
me or the visor. What? What do you call that? I asked her. That? We call that softball. I pitched for Frank's Pro Shop Twins back home. All city, two years in a row. What is softball? It's a game we play. And you hit people in the face with rocks? Not usually. I was impressed by the human ability to throw things with such force. I was sure that Andalite scientists would enjoy studying humans someday. They appeared more frail and ridiculous than they were. The visor was not impressed. He was just angry. So, you propelled rocks at me. You'll be very sorry you ever propelled a rock at me, human. Jerex, Lerex, attack! The situation stopped being amusing very quickly. The twin beasts turned their wheels sluggishly at first, but then picked up speed. I almost didn't move. I was so fascinated seeing the biological wheels turn. It was truly incredible. You admire my pets, Andalite? They are a species called Mortrons. As a young lieutenant, I went on a survey party to a world that was later destroyed when its sun went nova. We thought we might be able to make controllers of these Mortrons, but that didn't work out. Their brains are simply too tiny to accommodate us. Instead, I brought two of them home as pets. All the while the visor talked, or blah blah blah, as Loren had said, the Mortrons gathered speed and raced around the circumference of the pool. They made a strange sound, a faster and faster. They have amazing capacities, my young friend Alfangor, as you will soon see. What's the matter, Yurk? Afraid to fight me tail to tail? I taunted. I hoped the answer was yes, because I was not at all sure which of us would win a tail fight. While I was totally confident I could deal with these Mortrons. <laughs> the wheels spun faster, and the ungainly yellow and black monstrosities were nearly to the edge of the Yurk portion of the pool. I watched carefully to see whether they could move from the Yurk area into the human area. Unfortunately, the answer was yes. Don't worry, I told Loren. I can handle these two creatures. <laughs> Suddenly, the creatures each slit into two parts. The bottom portion, the yellow part with the wheels, swerved away. The dark red upper portion simply rose from the body, unfolded leathery wings I'd never even suspected, and flew straight at me. Alfangor, Loren cried. Ha ha ha! Kill Jerex! Kill Larex! Kill the Andalite! Visser 32 cackled gleefully. The first Mortron, I don't know if it was Jerex or Larex, opened its mouth and showed its rows of uneven but brutally unpleasant teeth. It powered through the air like a rocket. I dodged left and struck with my tail blade. Whop! Split! Flump, flump. My tailblade sliced the Mortron into two chunks. The two separate pieces fell to the ground with a wet splat. Alfangor, the other one! The second Mortron used the distraction provided by his brother to swoop wide, then arc in behind me, a tactic that would have worked on most opponents. 
but not on an intellect who can see in all directions at once. His toothy mouth was inches from my neck when I struck. Flop! Splint! Flump, flump! And the second Morchon bird portion fell in pieces to the ground. I was feeling pretty good until I looked at the viscer and saw amusement in his eyes. Alfangor! Look! Look! Loren cried. I turned my stock eyes toward the ground. With amazing speed, the two bloody halves of each Morchon were growing. One piece of each was growing to become a complete bird portion again, and the other piece was going even further, growing into a complete two-piece yellow and black four-wheeled Morchon. I had sliced both Morchons in half, and now they were becoming four Morchons. Are you doing the math in your head, Alfangor? The visor jeered. They regenerate, cut an attacking Morchon in pieces, and each piece grows again to become a complete Morchon. It's the killing frenzy. It gives them an enzyme boost that makes them regenerate. Try to kill these four and you'll have eight. Kill those eight and you'll have sixteen. Thirty-two. Sixty-four. I stared in horror as the Morchon pieces grew and grew. In seconds, they would be ready to attack again. And anything I did to destroy them would merely make more of them. Loren, I don't know what to do. If only I had a shredder. Can you outrun them? Yes, I can. But you can't. They are faster than you are. And I won't leave you. You won't have to. Maybe. How strong is your back? Never mind. It must be strong enough. Alfangor, don't be offended, okay? Offended by what? Hold still. I'm gonna try something. She came to me and placed one hand on the back of my neck. She placed another hand on my rump, right at the base of my tail. And suddenly, she leaned her weight on me, swung one leg up and over, and came to rest straddling my back. She sat there with one human leg hanging off each side of my back and held her hands clasped around my neck. I turned my stock eyes around and found myself staring directly into her small blue human eyes. Now let's run, she said, with you on my back. But even while I was standing there in blank astonishment, I saw a fully formed Morchon rise from the dirt. It was just a few feet away, and it launched its bird part. Leather wings propelled jagged razor-sharp teeth straight for my throat. Alfangor, this is not the time to think, Loren yelled. Run! Run! So I did. With the human girl actually on my back, I ran. Chapter 39 We ran, or I ran, and Loren rode lightly on my back. And we quickly outran the Visser's beasts. Those biological wheels were swift, but not as swift as Andalite hooves. As for the Visser, he chose not to give chase. At least not then. But I knew I had not seen the end of him. We left the Andalite portion of this new universe and ran through an increasingly strange environment. The sky overhead was blue, but darkening just a bit. The woods gave way to a cluttered landscape, filled with manufactured things. The grass under my hooves became a hard, gray-black substance. White stripes lined the middle. 
What is this thing we are on? I asked. It's a street, Lorraine said. What does it do? Well, remember the Mustang you were driving around on the Taxon World? Streets are what Mustangs travel on. As soon as she said it, I could see how sensible it was. Of course. This way, the human cars, which is how Loren informed me, humans commonly refer to these machines, would not damage tasty grass. On both sides of the street, there were cars sitting. Beyond the cars, further back from the street, were rectangular boxy structures. They were quite large and decorated with small squares and rectangles of transparent material. The tops were angled and covered in reddish-orange or dark-gray scales. Are these human creations? Yep. These are houses. That's what we live in. You live in them? How? Um, well, I mean, you go in through the front door. See? The tall rectangles on the front of each house? You go in through those. Inside? Yes, inside. Ah, wait. You mean these structures are hollow? Of course they're hollow. Pretty soon we'll be to my house. Then I'll show you. You'll meet my mom. You can see my room. I didn't know what to say to that. My own home scoop had been empty. My mother and father had not been there. I doubted that Lorraine's mother would be in her house. But I wasn't sure. Don't expect too much, I warned. She'll be there, Lorraine said forcefully. Next house, the one with the bushes out front. I had very little experience understanding the expression of human voices, but I sensed fear in Lorraine's voice. Uncertainty. I stopped before her house. There was a very attractive patch of grass in the front. Obviously, humans grow their own food in neatly cultivated squares in front of each house. You must have very hearty grass to be able to feed whole families and still look so perfect and so green. What? Lorraine asked. She frowned, and I let the matter drop. I was sure now that she was worried. She slid from my back. I'll wait while you go inside your hollow house. I said. No, come with me, Alfangor. Hold my hand. I held her hand, and she walked up a series of four steps. I wondered about the steps. Were they a way to slow down any approaching enemy, so that no one could charge directly inside the hollow house? With her free hand, Lorraine twisted a metallic ball. The door opened a little, and Lorraine pushed it open all the way. She was correct. The house was hollow inside. In fact, now I could see that the outer walls were no more than a few inches thick. But inside the hollowness were other walls, with other doors. It was like a maze. Lights glowed from the flat coverings above us. Other lights were hung on the walls. The floor was covered with a sort of very short, pale, tan grass. I tried to taste some of it but my hooves could not eat it. Mom? Lorraine said in a loud, quavering voice. I'm in here, honey. 
I felt Lorraine's hand jerk in surprise. Then she let go of my hand and ran along the strange, inedible tan grass and turned out of sight through a rectangular opening. I followed slowly, unsure of myself. I did not know any human rituals. I knew what I would have said when first meeting an Andalite friend's parents, but I'd never met a human's parents. I heard Lorraine sob, Mommy! I turned the corner and looked into another of the maze-like rooms. This room had metallic devices against one wall, all rectangular and white. Humans are very partial to rectangles. The floor was smooth here and slippery for my hooves. Lorraine was wrapped in the arms of another human. This new human was also female, as far as I could tell. She had hair the same color as Lorraine's, but dark brown eyes. Perhaps that was a sign of age. Perhaps humans have blue eyes till a certain age, or until they reproduce and have children. I wanted to ask Lorraine if my guess was correct, but Lorraine's mother was looking at me with her brown eyes. Lorraine, honey, shouldn't you introduce your friend? Lorraine frowned. She looked at me, then back at her mother. Mom, this is Alfangor. Don't be afraid, okay? He's my friend. The human woman smiled. Now, why would I be afraid? I like meeting your friends. You know that. But, Mom, Alfangor's not exactly like one of my school friends. I like meeting your friends. Lorraine's face was growing pale. She darted worried eyes at me and back to her mother. Mom, can't you tell that Alfangor is not a normal friend from school? Can't you tell that he's different? Oh, honey, the woman laughed. He's just an Andalite like any other. Lorraine jumped back like she'd been slapped. I swept the room with my stock eyes, ready for trouble. I cocked my tail and waited, tense and confined in the narrow room with the slippery floor. What do you mean he's an Andalite? You don't know about Andalites. You can't know about Andalites. Lorraine's mother made a face. You know, just because I'm your mother doesn't mean I'm an antique. I do keep up with things, Miss Modern. Your generation thinks they invented everything. You think you kids invented Andalites? We had Andalites when I was your age, too. How do you know about Andalites? Lorraine yelled. There was water leaking from her eyes. Oh, God! You're not real! You're not real! Now, Lauren, if you're going to treat me disrespectfully, I am going to send you to your room. You're not my mother! You're not real! I placed a hand on Lorraine's shoulder. By now, I had learned that humans like to be touched when they are upset. Lorraine, you're right. She is not your mother. She's something you made out of your own thoughts and memories of your mother. She knows about Endolites because you knew about Endolites when you imagined her. But Lorraine did not want to be comforted. She threw off my hand. She turned to me with her face red and water flowing from her blue eyes. And she screamed, Get away from me! Get away from me! Get away from me! This is all your fault! Just leave me alone! She pushed past me and ran from the hollow house, sobbing loudly. I was alone with the artificial mockery of a human woman. I am sorry, 
Would you like some poppin' cookies? The human woman asked. No, thank you, I said. I wondered what I should do. I didn't know how to comfort a human girl who is trapped inside a nightmare. Loren's mother, can you show me where Loren's room is? Up the stairs, on the right, but leave the door open a crack. That's the rule in our house when Loren has Andalites over to play. Hello, Phantomorphs, and thank you for listening to another episode of Audiomorphs, the Animorphs' auditory experience. As always, this is your host slash narrator slash sound producer slash everything else, Daniel. Uh, I don't got anything new to say here, so, you know, the usual spiel. If you use Apple Podcasts and want to leave me a rating and or review, would appreciate it. Want to tell a friend about this? Would appreciate that, too. If you want to check out my website theapocalypse.com that's the apocalypse like apocalypse but with a d in the middle uh, i'd appreciate that as well it's where i put all my creative stuff such as this podcast or my other podcast into the radlands where i rewatch into the badlands with my friend jesse if you'd like to reach me you can do that at audiomorphscast at gmail.com or audiomorphscast.tumblr.com Okay, I've taken up enough of your night, so I am going to head on out, and I'll see you next week. My name is Daniel, and I believe one day the Andalites will come. Until then, we fight 